We just love to complicate things, don't we? The cartoonist Rube Goldberg became famous for drawing ridiculously complicated devices designed to accomplish very simple tasks. And we love them. We love them because we love making things complicated. There, there is literally nothing so good that we can't make it more complicated so that we can have a little sense of control and ownership over the thing. By the mid-40s A.D., less than 15 years after the resurrection of Jesus, the Christian church was embroiled in a battle about complicating the faith. See, most early Christians in Jerusalem had come from a Jewish background, and they continued to obey the Jewish customs and rules even as they were following Jesus. But by the 40s, Christianity was growing rapidly among former pagans throughout the Roman Empire. And these new Christians had no familiarity with the customs and the rules and the laws of Jewish life, and, and debate erupted about what it really meant to be a Christian. The outcome of this was going to be critical. The, the issue at hand, was this something radically new, or was it just an unusual minority sect within Judaism? And and the outcome is so essential because if the way, as the early church was called, was simply another flavor of Judaism, then it was destined to die out in the year 70 A.D. when the Romans would destroy Jerusalem. And, and we see at that time the disappearance of all the, the groups we are familiar with from the Bible, the Herodians and the Sadducees and the Essenes, all of whom died out when the temple was destroyed. That would have been the fate of Christianity if it were merely another type of Judaism. But Paul and the other apostles battled for the truth of the gospel, the truth of the faith, the true good news of Jesus Christ, that we are saved by grace through faith alone. They defended this freedom that we enjoy as followers of Jesus Christ, and today we're going to be looking at one of the skirmishes in that battle as we turn to Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Paul writes, Then after fourteen years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. 
there have always been people trying to complicate the simple truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. That was true in Jerusalem. That was true in Galatia. It is still true 20 centuries later. And so we, like Paul, must defend our freedom in Christ and the truth of the gospel. And the passage that I just read to you probably is describing Paul's second visit to the Jerusalem church. And it probably came 11 years after the first visit, the one that we talked about last week, 14 years total after his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Paul traveled there with his mentor Barnabas and a former pagan turned Christian named Titus in a visit that probably corresponds to the events of Acts chapter 11, verses 27 through 30. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, ascending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Now, while he was in Jerusalem, Paul and his friends gave a private presentation to the three acknowledged leaders of the Jerusalem church, James, Peter, and John, those who are named in verse 9. And as we have talked about in recent weeks, Paul, of course, knew he was fully independent in his ministry, appointed by Christ to do it, but he is setting for us an example of cooperation with other influential church leaders. You can think of it as sort of a first century gospel coalition. And the very content of his presentation was the gospel. The good news that Christ had revealed directly to Paul. As he explains in verse 2, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. See, Paul was making sure that his efforts weren't being wasted, that he either hadn't been pre- that he wasn't preaching an incomplete gospel, but also that the institutional church wasn't going to come along and destroy all the good work he had done by piling on top of the gospel a bunch of rule following and, and laws and regulations and restrictions and mandatory festivals and circumcision that would cause these new excited Gentile Christians to abandon the church. And so Paul presented salvation by grace through faith alone in Christ, as he summarizes for us in Galatians 2.16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. The good news of Jesus Christ is that we can't save ourselves. We can't justify ourselves. Neither can the winner of the Kentucky Derby, right? Justify won the Kentucky Derby yesterday. Very <laughs> set me up perfectly. We cannot justify ourselves to God and make ourselves acceptable to Him. We, we each act selfishly sometimes. We do whatever feels good in the moment. We hurt others around us physically or emotionally or spiritually. We rebel against God's standards, right? Unless we think we're immune, many of us Christians frequently dishonor and insult God by presenting a terrible picture of Him through our words and our attitudes and our actions. 
And these are sins. And we can't simply explain them away or or make excuses for them that are going to fly in the face of the perfect, holy, righteous, and just God of the universe who created us in His image, meaning He created us to be perfect and holy and righteous and just like He is. We cannot justify ourselves to God, though we certainly try. We cannot earn forgiveness from God by promising to to be better next time, to work harder next time, to set up more rules and accountability for ourselves, to give more money away, or to come to church more often. Because works and rule following and good behavior cannot possibly justify us before the all-knowing God of the universe who knows what's going on in our hearts and in our minds, even when our outside appearances look so great. But because of God's great love for us, for every single person whom He created in His image, right, whom He lovingly crafted in His image, that's every person we encounter. That's every one of you, and is everyone outside these doors. Because of His love for each of us and for each of them, He provided a way for us to be justified, for our debt of sin to be paid, and our relationship with God to be restored. God, in His great mercy, sent His eternal, righteous, holy, sinless Son, Jesus Christ, into our messed up, fallen world to show us the way to freedom, the way to abundant life through faith in Him. Jesus chose to suffer and die on a Roman cross, right? The penalty of a rebel, not because He was a rebel, but because we are. We are each rebels against God. And on the cross, Jesus faced God's infinite justice and absorbed God's rightful anger toward us as He took all of our sins upon Himself. And by doing this, He opened the path to eternal life in the presence of God, both today and forevermore. He opened the way for forgiveness of sins and and freedom from guilt and shame and reconciliation and, and healing for all who believe in Him. As we celebrate in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. And all of this comes by God's grace alone. And we can add nothing to it. And we cannot earn it, and we deserve no part of it, but He gives it anyway. We cannot save ourselves, but God saves us through Jesus Christ. And and this is what Paul and his friends shared. And it was wholeheartedly endorsed by the apostolic leadership of the church in Jerusalem. As an example of this, as demonstrating this acceptance, he points out that the non-Jewish Christian Titus wasn't required to be circumcised. And that the Jerusalem leaders added nothing to the good news of Jesus Christ as Paul had preached it. He says it in verse 6, and from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. There was 100% agreement onto the content of the good news. There was full friendship and fellowship between these apostles. There was a recognition of Paul's authority and commission and calling 
And then there was a healthy division of labor based on Christ's divine commission to each, each apostle. Paul and his co-workers primarily to the uncircumcised Gentile world. Peter and his colleagues primarily to the Jewish world. Verses 7 through 9 outline this. On the contrary, when they saw that I'd been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, right? Because there's only one spirit. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, the grace that God had laid upon him, the commissioning of God, the power of God, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. This meeting ended with a clarity of doctrine as the apostles resumed their missionary endeavors. But it doesn't mean that this meeting was free of controversy. Quite the contrary. Because clearly there was an issue, if you will, in this meeting. Because there were others present who did not embrace the good news of Jesus Christ. During this meeting, Paul and his friends demonstrated the importance of defending our freedom in Christ. Verse 4 outlines the conflict. says, Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. You see, false brothers had snuck into the church. These were members of the church, professing Christians, members of the church who were still trying to save themselves by rule following. People who didn't believe the gospel was enough to save people. People who didn't believe that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross was sufficient who believed that in addition to that, you had to follow the Jewish law in order to be saved. Paul says they came in to spy on the freedom we each enjoy in Jesus Christ. And I, I wonder how many of us think in terms of freedom as we think about our life in the gospel, because we should. This is one of the great themes of Galatians, our freedom in Christ. The freedom that we have in the gospel, the freedom we have in Christ contrasts with the, the lack of freedom that we experience when we are outside the gospel, right? Which is ironically where most people think that's that are more free. The freedom that does not exist because we are outside the gospel. We are busy trying to save ourselves by good behavior and religious activity or by being more spiritual or being more moral. And based on the totality of the letter to Galatians, I think there are two key freedoms that Paul has in mind when he writes these words, when he describes this conflict. The first is a freedom from legalism. And legalism occurs any time we start adding rules and procedures and rituals and processes and burdens to our faith, and we claim that they are required in order to be right with God. See, the good news of Jesus Christ is that Christ died to fulfill these requirements so that we do not have to. There are absolutely things we are expected to do as followers of Jesus Christ. But none of these should ever be elevated to the point where we're saying they are necessary to be saved or forgiven or loved by God. Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10 describes the slide back into legalism. And, and we are all tempted in this way, I think. 
describes it this way. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years, right? They, they were slipping back into the ritual observances and the, re, the requirements needed, and they weren't doing it because they wanted to glorify God. They were doing it because they were told or they thought they had to do it in order to be saved. So even when these things are good things to do, they cannot save us, and they cannot, we must not let them dominate our lives and our thinking. We need to guard and enjoy the freedom that we have received through Christ. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. That we would be free and enjoy it. And Paul goes on to say, Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't start trying to save yourself again. Don't let someone tell you you need to start trying to save yourself again because Christ already died to save you. All you must do is believe and follow Him. We must beware of false or immature Christians who try to steal our freedom and enslave us again to burdensome non-biblical rules. Right, the forces that were working to complicate the gospel nearly 2,000 years ago are alive and well today in the North American church and in the North American culture. Right, these people tell us that we must either wear or avoid certain types of clothes in order to be a good Christian, or that we must uh, have or avoid certain types of appearances or hairstyles or facial hair or tattoos or listen to certain kinds of music, whatever it is, right? And it's all a lie. See, we're supposed to glorify God in everything we do. That's the standard. Glorify God in everything we do. But that can look really different for you than it does for me. That can look really different for your children or grandchildren than it does for you. Or vice versa, for your parents and grandparents. Arbitrary rule following and religiosity cannot save us or keep us from being saved. Only our relationship with God through faith in Christ saves us. Now that relationship should transform us. Right? It should be changing our attitudes and our desires. It should be changing how we gather, how we worship, how we grow, how we become more like Christ as an outworking of our faith. Right? These things, these changes, this transformation is an important sign of our faith, that our faith is indeed alive and saving and working in us. But to codify them as a requirement for a relationship with God is legalism. And we have been set free from that because for freedom, Christ has set you free. So are you enjoying this freedom? Right? Are you genuinely enjoying your freedom in Christ? The autonomy that you have to glorify God in your own unique way. Or are you being held back, feeling like someone is saying, oh, you can't possibly glorify that way. You are being burdened down by traditions and practices and rule following that are not found in the Bible. If you find that your faith is exhausting you, it probably means you've let someone steal your freedom. So take it back. 
right? Live only to please God, not other people, because you've been set free. And this is a freedom, as we see, that we must defend constantly. Do not let yourself be enslaved once again. Through Christ, we are also given freedom to love other people, to truly love other people. You see, Christ set us free to glorify God by serving others in love, right? He didn't set us free to do whatever we feel like and make a mess all over everything. He set us free to serve others in love. Galatians 5.13 says, For you are called to freedom, brothers, and we do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, right? Don't use it as just indulging whatever feels good. But through love, serve one another. Right? We no longer have to care for others out of obligation or to earn points with God if there is such a thing. Instead, we're called to freely and joyfully love and serve others. Verse 10 concludes, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. To remember the poor was to care for and give financial support to those who were in need within the church. That was, in fact, one of the reasons Paul came to Jerusalem, to deliver a collection to feed the hungry Christians in Jerusalem. As followers of Christ, we've been freed from sin and death and the burden of having to save ourselves through rule following. And, and so out of the overflow of our love and our gratitude for this, we should be loving and serving the most vulnerable around us. We should be blessing others with love as we have been blessed by God's grace and mercy and love. We are called to love and serve our neighbors, all of our neighbors. Even those who are very different from us are very difficult to love. Genuine faith in Jesus Christ should be reflected in how we care for the most vulnerable. As James 1.27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So are you enjoying this freedom in Christ and loving your neighbor and the most vulnerable? If not, what's stealing your freedom? Take it back. Take your freedom back and genuinely love your neighbor as yourself. You're going to hear a lot more information in coming weeks, but this fall, go ahead and mark your calendar, September 21, 22, 23. We as a church, in order to better love our neighbors, are actually going to have a mission trip to our community. This pocket of houses, this side of Old Bridge Road. You can drive through it without passing through a traffic light from here. This is our mission field. We will worship together. We will have testimony together. We will eat together. But the most important thing is we will love our neighbors together. And through this, we will learn to know our neighbors better and to love them even better in coming years. <laughs> the very theme of it is love our neighbors. It's very simple. Love our neighbors. So you will hear a lot more about it. I would love if everyone found a way to get involved, whether it's as a prayer warrior, whether it's out doing a home improvement project, whether it's doing something for Rockledge. We, we have yet to come up with all the, we have more ideas than we have practical ability, but we are going to be focusing down to various projects. So you'll hear more. You'll get an opportunity to sign up soon. Uh, but go ahead and be thinking about this because we want to be serious. So what is holding us back from really loving our neighbors? We want to overcome that because Christ set us free to love our neighbors. 
hand in glove with defending our freedom in Christ is preserving the truth of the gospel. These two go together. Right? Preserving the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ on the one hand defends our freedom in Christ because as we are preaching and proclaiming and explaining and defending God's grace, we are reminded of the freedom that He died to give us. The freedom we enjoy in Christ. But likewise, as we exercise our freedom in Christ, we are naturally presenting and preserving the reason for our freedom, the truth of the gospel. The fact that these two are so tightly woven together is reflected in Paul's confrontation of these false brothers who sought to change the gospel, who sought to steal the good from the good news. See, the good news is we don't have to save ourselves, that Christ saves us. The good news is we don't ever have to do enough to be holy because Jesus already did enough for us. And all we have to do is believe in Him. But these false brothers wanted to strip out all that good news and say, guess what? You still need to save yourself by following the Jewish law. Right? You still need to save yourself by following the 613 laws of the Torah. This was a fundamental alteration of the gospel. This is just redefining Christianity as yet another religion trying to save itself by hard work and holy behavior. Just another minor group within Judaism rather than the, what Christianity really is, which is the fulfillment of God's eternal and holy and good plan to redeem this fallen world and restore it to creation, restore creation to perfection through a Savior. And in the face of this attack, Paul and his friends did not budge. Verse 5 says, To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Paul and his friends fought resolutely to preserve the truth of the gospel for all believers through all time. Right? They were fighting for the believers in Galatia, but they were fighting for the believers at Lake Ridge Baptist Church too. And we need to recognize that the gospel is continually threatened by those who would either strip out the bad news of our sin or add in the bad news of legalistic rule following in order to get right with God. For 20 centuries, there have always been forces inside and outside the church who have been attacking the truth of the gospel, and God has raised up faithful men and women to fight for and preserve the truth of the gospel. Every generation has to fight for the truth of the gospel, no matter how unpopular, how difficult, or how dangerous. And now it is our turn. Christ died, Christ rose, Christ will return. You can't save yourself from your sins, but Jesus Christ, the eternal and holy Son of God, died to save you. He allowed his body to be broken on the cross and his innocent blood to be poured out to establish a new covenant, a new way of relating to God through faith in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, not through any of our miserable deeds. This is the gospel that we now must labor to preserve and proclaim. This is what we must remind ourselves of often and share with others. This is what we proclaim today in just a few minutes as we will gather around the Lord's table to remember exactly this, to remember the broken body of our Savior, the poured out blood of our Savior. So are you ready to do your part? Are you ready to engage both American church culture and American secular culture to preserve and protect and proclaim the truth of the gospel the gospel of peace and reconciliation, the, the gospel that gives genuine, lasting, eternal freedom through Christ, just as Paul and his friends did so long ago.
Please pray with me. Lord God, help us to celebrate and enjoy the freedom that we have through Jesus Christ. Lord, please help us to reject all attempts to burden down our lives, our abundant life that Jesus died to give us. Lord, please help us to enjoy the freedom to live free of of legalism, to live a life that truly loves our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, I pray too that you will embolden us, that you will stiffen our backs, that you will strengthen us and clarify our thoughts. Because it is our turn now to defend the truth of the gospel. And just as Paul did, just as so many have done across the centuries, now it is our time. Once again, as always, the gospel is under attack by those who either want to take away part of it or add something to it. Lord, I pray that you will give us clarity to recognize this and boldness to speak out against us, that we would rise to the season in which we are, Lord, that you would empower us through your spirit to be holy defenders of the truth of your gospel. For freedom, Christ died to set us free, Lord. For this we rejoice. Do not let us give that freedom away. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.